Welcome to the Renew the Arts podcast, where we discuss the role of art and creativity in the church and in the world. We're your hosts, Justice Stout and Michael Minkoff. Our mission at Renew the Arts is to liberate Christian creativity. At renewthearts.org, you can see what we're working on and see how you can get involved in the creative revival that is currently happening in the church. In the last four years, we've given away more than $200,000 in sponsorship value for projects by Christians who are dedicated to their craft and to their faith. If you like what we're doing and you want to support it financially, please consider donating at renewthearts.org forward slash donate. A lot of artists in the church feel like they don't really have a place there. Yeah, we hear these stories all the time. Artists just sitting in the pews. Talented musicians or visual artists, writers, photographers, and filmmakers, and they just don't feel like their work has any place in the church. So why is that? Is it really a major problem that needs to be addressed? And if so, how can we fix it? This is Why So Many Christian Artists Are at Odds with the Church. This is a subject that hits pretty close to home for us as far as... um, Micah Stout. If you go to renewthearts.org, the homepage has a, an introductory video for us, and it kind of tells the story of a semi-fictional character, Micah, um, who's an artist in the church and feels like he's stuck between two worlds, but uh, the video is based on and dedicated to Micah Stout, my oldest brother, who really was uh, constantly at odds with the church. Not that he was fighting with the church, but he could never really seem to find support and value for what he felt like was his greatest value offering for the kingdom. He couldn't get support for for uh, the art that he was trying to make. He was a singer-songwriter. And um, that created a lot of undue friction. And it was really heartbreaking to see growing up, to see such a talented artist who had a lot to offer genuinely um, at odds with the church because they didn't value something that is actually incredibly valuable. That's right. And we've actually, that's just one of a long string of similar stories of even personal people that we know, people that we know personally, friends of ours or acquaintances of ours who are really talented people, Mm -hmm. really talented in the arts, and the arts just aren't terribly valued Mm-hmm. Um, there's a really narrow area where the arts are valued, but a lot of these artists are attempting to be sincere to what God has actually given them, and what they're realizing is that the church isn't willing to receive what it is that God is trying to give the church through them. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is this is a major issue, and it, it actually, there are a lot of talented artists uh, that we don't know who have talked about this very issue. You, you have people... Like Pedro the Lion's David Bazan, who leave the church altogether, mm-hmm. end up just abandoning the faith. Right. Uh, or you have a partial departure, like with people like Michael Gunger or Dan Hazeltine or Derek Webb, who are on the fringes of the church, Sufjan Stevens, on the fringes of the church, maybe not necessarily inside the church, but it's, it's still attempting to hold on to their faith in some way, but in a lot of ways drifting in many ways how without you, accountability. How do, how do you know Sufjan's on the fringe of the church? I know this is maybe a little bit of a rabbit trail. Uh, well, there was a story, uh, you know, Sean and Micah went to a Sufjan yeah. uh, concert one time, and they were talking to the trombonist, whose name I can't remember, uh-huh. and they were just asking him, so do you guys go to church? The half-handed cloud guy. 
Or was it? Maybe it was John Ringhofer. I don't think it was. I think it was somebody else. Oh, okay, gotcha. They said, when you're on tour uh, with Sufjan, do you guys go to church or whatever? And and he was like, no, not really. And and Sufjan himself has, has made it fairly obvious in interviews here and there that he doesn't really have a formal formal relationship with any local church okay. necessarily. Okay, okay. Um, so you have these uh, fringe Christians, quote-unquote, who feel disconnected from the church or at least uncomfortable inside of it. And actually, uh, Derek Webb, a former member of Cademan's Call, said this in an interview with uh, Richard Clark. This is a quote from him. He said, I've never fit very comfortably into church culture and church framework. When I was a kid and growing up being a musician, the church fumbles with artists a little bit. Even before I had the language to be able to articulate it, I always felt as though I had a fairly unconventional approach to spirituality, or else I didn't love the terms of it the way that some people did and the way a lot of my friends did. Mm-hmm. And so there's this idea that the church really does fumble with artists, and artists sort of don't really feel at home in the church oftentimes. And this is a major trend recently that we see, and, and I guess the question that you would ask immediately is, why exactly do churches fumble with artists? Why is it, it, it really does seem like this whole class of people attempting to be sincere artists, the church really does fumble with them, really mm-hmm. doesn't know how to deal with them. Yeah. And we've talked about this uh, somewhat in uh, our diversity and unity episode, and we mentioned sort of these two parallel issues of comfort on the part of the congregation and control on the part of the leadership. Right. And both of those things really do impinge on the freedom and liberty of a particular artist, mm-hmm. um, of really artists in general. And so really what it says is the congregation says, I'm not comfortable with the art that you're making. Right. I, it, it, it scares me. Mm-hmm. It challenges me. It feels too open-ended. It feels too much uh, like I can't control it. I don't really know it. I don't really know what's going on with it. And I feel... Uh, I feel afraid. World right. Magazine actually recently came out with an article on churches having galleries mm-hmm. um, and even like having it in the church building or sponsoring a gallery. And uh, I think the title of the article was like Walking the Razor's Edge or something like this. And like the whole thing was how incredibly difficult it is for a church to get behind showing a showing of current like contemporary um original visual artists right you know just artists who are making stuff and how how incredibly difficult it is to pull it off without some blow up right something like that. right either from the congregation or more likely from pastors and leaders who are trying to uh stay very far away from controversy mm-hmm. controversy is not a Controversy good thing. is bad business. It's that's bad for business sure. for the church. And that really plays into the second idea of control, that you're unwilling to give leadership, because that's really what you're giving. If you, if you allow an artist to come into your church and hang a picture on your wall, you're giving some degree of freedom. Well, you're giving them you're, a platform. You're giving them a platform to say things that yeah. maybe you don't have full understanding or for, full control of. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we have this story of a uh, justice told me this story, and it's a wonderful story, and I want you to go ahead and tell it, of this uh, landscape artist, which, yeah. how uncontroversial, right? Okay. Like, of all the things that I would could be love, controversial. I would love to to have this person on and and maybe get them to tell it themselves eventually, um, but for now, they will re- remain anonymous, but this friend of mine, um, 
is an excellent landscape painter. Um, professionally, like school trained uh, and phenomenal talent. This person is actually in the church that that he goes to is an elder in the church. So what's really interesting about this scenario is that this is a respected member of the congregation, an elder, so like trusted with a position of leadership, um, a local business owner, like he just very uh, established. And the church wanted to hang some art. I think they built a new building is the is what happened. They built a larger building and uh, the walls were bare. And so they needed to get something up on the walls. And they ended up ordering just a bunch of stuff from China, basically. I don't know if they prints. ordered it online. Yeah, prints. Um, and in landscapes. Abstract. And... No, abstract. Oh, just, abstract. Just stuff that literally, I think... Fit with their color scheme. Match the carpets. Okay. Mainly. In abstract and, and just uh, nothing that you would really... Uh, I don't know. There's... Formless and All, void. Yes, actually, yes. Formless <laughs> and void. Like there's, there is nothing. It's just, it's just kind of there, and it's made by some slaves, you know, over overseas. Uh, no, well, no, this is what the guy said. Like the place that they actually got it from was like a mass production art company that like sold in bulk to the United. Anyways, so. So the church built this building and needed some art on the walls. And this guy is a trained, fantastic landscape painter. Graduated from SCAD, right? SCAD. And uh, they approached him. And they're like, hey, you are a painter. Will you hang these paintings we have purchased on the walls? And this guy is already, even being as respected and in leadership as he is, feels this, even before that, like felt this tension about people not understanding, like, Hey, you have a good business. You're an elder. Like, why do you keep painting? Mm-hmm. Like this. I mean, we don't understand. Full of originals, right? Yes, they're all they like every inch of his walls basically are covered in paintings, and um, and so he already had this sense of like, oh, my church like doesn't really understand why I do this or the value of it or what to, what to make of it, and then they're like, hey, you're a painter. I'll tell you what's valuable to us. You can you can hang these paintings well. So go ahead and and literally he's just like placing these pieces of crap <laughs> up on the walls of his own church when he would have donated incredible you know landscapes piece, landscapes of the state that he's in. Like it's kind of a pro, like just yeah. pastorally and locally appropriate. Mm-hmm. And uh, that story actually came up because I was sitting. It was this person and me and my brother. And I was telling my brother this this very topic, that artists are at odds with the church. And even, even artists who are not putting up a fight or like being vocal about it, they probably feel pushed to the outskirts. And I was sitting there and my brother was like, hey, you don't feel that way, right? You're an elder and you're an artist. Like, you don't. And that's when this guy told that story. <laughs> and it's like, oh... So even somebody who's fully integrated, even into the leadership structure of the church, is still feeling like... There's no platform for their creative voice. Right. And and there's not even like a... There's not even an understanding. Like art is seriously at that point just the barest of adornments 
just so that the walls don't look like they're too barren. Right. But like there's no sense that art could be used communicationally or that there's any element of the arts in the sacraments or in the in the worship music right. or anything like that. Right. And if they are included in that way, it's a very narrow, narrow, narrow sliver where you have worship leaders who rather than having real leadership, they're just being told. Like a lot of worship leaders we talk to will call it Christian karaoke. Christian karaoke or Christian jukebox. Like I'm just a Christian jukebox. I have songs. We all know the songs. Pay me and click the button mm-hmm. and I'll play the song that you need me to play. Right. The way you want me to play it. Right. And and if you don't, we'll find somebody who, who does. Will. <laughs> and so what ends up happening is, because a lot of people come back to us and be like, no, 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 no. There are artists that are included. Our church is really supportive of, you know, Christian movies or, or Christian music or Christian radio or any of these kinds of things. But, you know, the art that is included fits into a very, very, very small sliver of the overall arts. and right. It's a very narrow category. It is. That is allowable. That is allowable. That's For acceptable. For example, this church did allow art to go up. Right. It was just very bland, abstract. And by abstract, we're not even talking about some avant-garde abstract. That would be too much. This is just like... Like you will walk by and not notice this, right? Except that it, you know, there's more color. Or it's something. like visual music. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's elevator music for the walls. Right. Yes. And so it's 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 bland, unoffensive, uncontroversial, and also you know, pe- the people who are probably walking by. You're right. They're probably not even paying They're attention to it at all. It. It's probably not going to make any impact whatsoever. If it were missing, people might say, "Ooh, these walls are kind of barren." But it being there, you just sort of it's not doing just blends in. Right. And so that what that does in the in the church when you have this really narrow narrow range of what's allowed, what that ends up doing is it creates two classes of artists within the church. The first class of artists are, and these exist, and so don't. Don't think that we're bashing on all these guys because these these artists do exist. They are sincere artists who have been gifted and commissioned in art forms or styles by God that just happen to fit in to these narrow, narrow ranges of art. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm not going to say that a person like Chris Tomlin is like a charlatan or mm-hmm. a mercenary. That I might don't... actually be his gifting is that exact exactly. kind of art. But to make... All of the musicians in all of the churches across the United States. Write like that, sound write, like sound, that, play, play like, like that. that. It doesn't even fit with your local culture. Right. The, the fact is that the person who lives here in your state, that's not across the world from you, that's not in Australia or California, uh, that lives in your state right here, let's say we're in Georgia, they have access to the things that are most concerning and pressing to this particular church, and it's those things. I mean, when you read the Psalms, you know, when uh, the psalm that David wrote when he was rescued from the hand of Saul and the hand of all his enemies. Right. The, the psalm that David wrote after his sin with Bathsheba. It's the very psalm, specific. It's very specific to these locations, to these uh, events that people would have been familiar with mm-hmm. to whatever extent. Mm-hmm. And then when you, when you sing these songs or you read these songs in uh, the church, you end up having directly addressed local issues through which you can worship and petition God. And that's right. a really important part of this. 
Um, what ends up happening is if you're having people on the other side of the world write songs for you, the only way those songs are going to work is if they're really general and really abstract so that they fit the largest number of voices. And maybe there are people who are sincerely called to do that. Mm-hmm. But the second class of artists indicate that a lot of the people who are making that kind of music are not sincere. And so that's the second class. And I actually think the second class far outweighs the first class of Christian artists who are included in the church. And let me just give you uh, this story, which uh, is a harrowing story, but it's corroborated by a lot of artists who have left uh, the faith Mm -hmm. and who, like David Bazan, this one comes from, this is probably like the most scandalous and and horrible story. And it's uh, this guy... Lambesis, I think he's, what is his name? Uh, Stephen Lambesis, I think is his name. He used to be the front man for the Christian, quote unquote, band, As I Lay Dying. And uh, so this is what he says. What, what ends up happening is that he got arrested because he put out a hit on his wife. He actually hired a hitman to murder his wife because he was cheating on her and he just wanted to be done with the whole thing. And this is while he's on tour playing like you know, Christian, quote-unquote, music for Christian audiences and getting paid well to do it. This is what he wrote. He said, In the process of trying to defend my faith, I started thinking the other point of view was really the stronger one. He said, adding that he began using his newfound atheism as a justification for his sins. He wrote, The first time I cheated on my wife, my interpretation of morality was now really convenient for me. I felt less guilty if I decided... Well, marriage isn't a real thing because Christianity isn't real. God isn't real. But he says there was money to be made with As I Lay Dying, so Lambesis pretended he was still a Christian. And when kids would want to pray with us after shows, he said, I'd be like, "Mm, go ahead and pray. And so he's putting on this front as like a a, a Christian musician with this Christian band. And this is what's really horrible. You're like, oh, that's an outlier. Well, what he said, and would he have any real reason to lie about this? I, I don't really know, but I don't think so. This is the testimony that I hear over and over again, even from people who are believers and who leave the worship music scene or the Christian music scene because they're disgusted with what's going on behind the scenes. And Lambesis had this to say. He said, in 12 years of touring with As I Lay Dying, I would say that maybe one in 10 Christian bands we toured with were actually Christian bands. Wow. That that the majority of the people that were touring were touring for the exact same reason Lambesis was. Money. <laughs> for money. And they were willing to insincerely sing these songs of praise mm-hmm. in order to make money. And the, the, the thing is that the people who aren't willing to do that, the ones who aren't being listened to, the ones mm-hmm. who don't have a place, are the ones who can't sincerely sing those kinds of songs, but have been given other kinds of songs by God. And they have conscience mm-hmm. from the Holy Spirit that says, I'm not willing to compromise the message and the style and the thing that God has given me. I have to sing and give. I have to preach the way God has called me to preach. I have to talk the way God has called me to talk. I'm only given the messages he's given me. Right. And if no one wants to hear those messages, I can't just change them because that would be insincere. Right. That would be unfaithful. And so they quietly... In the background, continue working on this art and hanging it on their and own hanging walls it on their own walls <laughs> in their own house. And so, two things really have to happen. 
a lot of times what ends up happening is that those artists say, you know what? If that's the way the church is going to treat me, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm done. I'm out of here. Yeah. And, and that's and, and that, that is, happens. That that happens all the time. That happens all the time. Creative people and artists are uh flooding out of the church. And this is at a time, by the way, where statistically the millennial generation consider themselves like their self-analysis or self uh um assessment is that uh there are much more, many, many, many more people in the millennial generation that consider themselves to be artists or creatives. Right. So what's really interesting is that this isn't even just a normal time where it's this slice of the population. Like the church is losing a greater and greater slice of the population when it pushes artists out to the to the uh, the, to fringes. the fringes, especially and, as time goes on. And even if people are, you know, considering themselves maybe more creative or artistic, but aren't truly uh, called to the arts, the people that could probably reach those people best would be talented artists that can speak in that language to them. But they're already gone. Right. And so not only are we losing the true artists, we're losing the people who could be ministering or, or the people that the to, yeah. exactly minister to those people, right? And so, so yeah, and and this has a a really horrible effect on both the church and the artists mm. because, like you're saying, there are lots of people who are currently sticking it out in the church mm-hmm. who need to be addressed through the arts. Mm-hmm. If they were being addressed through the arts, it would be extremely edifying and constructive to them in their walk with Jesus. Yeah, and those people are not being ministered to. Yeah. And the church is not being ministered to in that way, in a, in, in a way that would be challenging and convicting and a little uncomfortable, but like, who has ever encountered God and it not been uncomfortable? Like, right. if you're really encountering the truth, it's not going to make you feel comfortable all the time. Unless a lot perfect. of time, <laughs> yeah, unless you're perfect, but you're not. Um, you're not, so. <laughs> you're not more righteous than Job, I'll tell you that. And he uh, repented in the dust when he was in the presence of God. And that's what we all do, because we recognize in the presence of God uh, that we are filled with sin and have all sorts of things that need to get worked out. Nobody wants to hear about those. It's right. not pleasant. Right. But a lot of these artists who are being rejected by the church, the reason they're being rejected by the church is because they're not bringing a tell comforting... Me a, tell me a comfortable word. Right. It's like all the kings in the Old Testament Ahab. whenever they were prophets. Mm-hmm. Well, and so many others, right? If I right. remember, I mean, it happens again and again. It's like yeah. the prophets come, they have a word from the Lord. It's not what the kings want to hear. So it's like, eh, I'll find some other prophets. In fact, I have other prophets in my hire that are going to tell me things that oh, I actually want to hear. Definitely. I'm thinking of two really, really, really like perfect examples. One, Jeremiah says, do not listen to the songwriters or the singers when they sing the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. He repeats it three times. Like this was a thing that the singers were telling to the people, remember what God feels about his temple. He's not going to allow it to be destroyed. Mm -hmm. And so you guys can take presumptuous confidence in the fact that you are the church, Mm -hmm. that you are the people of God. And and he even, even Jeremiah mocks these singers like they're just doing these terrible worship refrains. The temple of the Lord, the temple. Over and over and over this again, repetition. he's like, "Don't trust in that. Yeah, that's not going to hold for you." And then you've got the the I I love the story of Micaiah, 
mm-hmm. uh, with Ahab. So Jehoshaphat from Judah comes and they're fight, he's fighting together with Ahab, which he probably shouldn't have been doing anyway. But Jehoshaphat wants to hear the word of the Lord. So Jehoshaphat says, hey, Ahab, uh, I noticed that you've got 400 prophets, singers, poets who are here dancing before you saying, go up and you will conquer, you know, and like telling, <laughs> to, giving them all these positive, feel good messages of upbeat, confirmation, upbeat. upbeat, right? And Ahab's like, ah, there's one guy who speaks the word of God, but um, He's a I don't downer. like him. <laughs> he never says anything good about me, right? And so then they call Micaiah in and Micaiah's sitting there in front of Ahab and, a- and, and Jehoshaphat and Ahab are like, all right, go ahead. Say what you got to say from God. And Micaiah says, go on and conquer and you will win. (laughs) And uh, Ahab's like, have I not told you and abjured you before God to always speak the truth? And so Micaiah's like, oh, okay. Well, um, yeah, you're going to die. You're going to die, Ahab. It's going to be horrible. It's going to be a real rout. um, And uh, and you're going to be dead. And And then uh, the king's like, I told you. I told you. I told you, Micaiah. Right. So, so you have this situation where uh, the musicians that that the that the quote unquote church has um, allowed in many Mm -hmm. of them, tons of them. If you said, "Hey, you guys aren't really supporting uh, artists who are called by God to these arts," like, "Oh, we support tons of artists, Uh right?" But only the artists who are willing to give us a good word. And by a good word, we don't mean the gospel. We mean a comforting word, a word of peace, peace when there is no peace. And that's one of the things is that is there ever a time for a comfortable word or for a comfortable song? Totally, there absolutely is. But for anybody listening, like. When should a comfortable word be said? When things are going well. You know what I mean? And or when there's been repentance. Or when there's been repentance. But yeah. but if you uh when you know, when should uh, a challenging word be said? When things are off the rails. Mm-hmm. Like when the church is being apathetic or lazy mm-hmm. or just not following God very well. Mm-hmm. And if you consider where we are currently in the United States, if you take a hard look at, um, yeah, Christianity in the United States right now as a whole, uh, ask yourself, does it need a comforting word right now? Or should we be challenging ourselves rigorously mm-hmm. to turn our eyes back to the Lord and, and calling to, people to repentance? To repent, to repent yeah. and to dig our heels in. Is that you know pleasant? No, no, no not, it's not, not for pleasant. Anybody. <laughs> not for anybody. <laughs> it's not pleasant, but that's what we really need. So that's the thing. The church really does need to be willing, and we need to have hearts of flesh that are willing to receive that kind of challenge right. from our artists. Secondly, though, artists, and you, you, you know that I love you. Yeah, this is for the artists but, out there. But uh, you can't leave the church. We need you too much. We need you too much in the church. If you have to struggle, if you have to feel marginalized, if you have to feel hurt, look, I can't tell you to do this because it's lame to say, hey, stay where you're being marginalized, stay where you're being hurt. But listen, search your heart and ask the Holy Spirit to teach you on this. Our Lord loves the church and he wants you to invest in the church to the best of your ability. Keep struggling to model inside the church the kind of humility and graciousness and charitableness and open-mindedness 
that you want to see in the church from the leaders and from the congregation. And keep doing it. Persevere in doing it. Do not leave. Stay there. We need you desperately. Absolutely. And so I, I want to wrap up this, uh, this episode um, with a song that I wrote the lyrics to, actually. Oh, and one? it's uh, off of um, the band Physic, which is my project with Phil Hodges, a composer, musician. And it's on our first record called Songs for Friends, and it's called In the False Church. Oh. And it is a pretty straightforward call to American Protestantism to uh, stop sitting on its hands and actually recognize that in many ways we have become like the hard-headed, hard-hearted people of God in the Old Testament. And um, it it has rough moments. It's pretty rough, so forgive me for that. But I think <laughs> that it does exemplify the kind of art that the church needs to hear, even if it's not necessarily the kind of art that the church wants to hear. Sounds good. All right. Thank mm-hmm. you.
Oh, oh, oh.